0: My guest today is leadership coach Anya Hankin. Anya is a colleague of mine who comes to this interview with an honest and open personal story about how she learned about possibilities in leadership far beyond what she knew. This episode will tackle angles on justice, partnership, and the hidden potential behind leadership models that entertain a more fluid dynamic between student and teacher. This is the Supergivers Podcast. So let's start there if you're willing. Yeah and yeah maybe introduce yourself to me and my listeners and how are you how would you like to redefine leadership
1: mm. so i'm anya and the work that i do is so much about breaking open the models that we have seen of what a leader Looks like and how a leader acts, and really finding ourselves in that picture. So, naming and claiming our own style of leadership.
0: And what do you see as the pre existing standard and template that we're trying to break out of?
1: Well, I think there's really this sort of visual template, which is cis white males that we've been shown for you know, so long. And then there's also these qualities that show up within that template. That's really about kind of this expert model, this person that is loud, this person that is in the center of attention all the time and wants to be kind of this idea that to be a leader, you need to have everything figured out, that you have all the answers And that you're you're doing it on your own.
0: Are you saying these things don't have to be true? (laughs) I'm
1: saying these things don't have to be true. I'm saying that they're not true. Ah. (laughs) Um, And I think even if you begin to unpack some of those models as they stand, you see that that's not true. But as you kind of dig even deeper. I personally find that to be totally unappealing to strive to fit into that model. And um, it's so necessary, I think to really create our own way, especially now when we're just in this incredibly intense, volatile time.
0: And do you mean by saying that, that especially now, um because it feels like there's pressure to transform systems and make changes or are you saying that for some other reason Yeah
1: I'm saying it for exactly that reason yeah. yeah 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 and I think as we sort of grapple with this sense of hopelessness or helplessness we're looking we're looking for people to lead us and I think really we're the ones who are going to be leading um so i'm who's
0: who's we when you say we're the ones
1: ourselves ourselves yeah ourselves and i think really being able to say you know i don't fit into this traditional model of leadership i haven't seen anyone necessarily like me or with the qualities that i possess or that are important to me and still i am going to claim my leadership. I'm going to step into my own leadership. What does that look like? And how can we be leaders who don't have all of the answers? How can we be leaders who ask a lot of questions? How can we be vulnerable and imperfect and iterating along the way and still find our leadership in that and know that that's that is a form of leadership.
0: Part of me wants to go into the personal part of this, but let's let's maybe flesh out a little bit more of you as a facilitator and leadership mentor. Um, and you mentioned to me earlier this concept of non-binary leadership. Can you can you tie this into that and and explain a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So for me, that speaks to kind of breaking open this traditional model of leadership and really recognizing that we are not simply student and teacher, student or teacher, leader or follower, that there's really this kind of inextricably linked connection between the two. And so I love this term of non-binary leadership, that we we're, we're not either or, we're both and. And there's some it sounds kind of simple, but I think it's really profound to recognize that we can kind of contain those multitudes, that we don't have to simply be expert, that we don't have to simply be leader um, as we've known it to be, and that we get to constantly be growing and learning and learning from the people who we are quote-unquote leading, that it becomes this kind of collective experience with us as the guide so that's really a leadership that i'm interested in in my own life and in my work
0: yeah and while i'm tracking you and i and i of course work from a very similar belief system i'm i'm thinking of the white cis males the other white cis males who are listening to this and and, and wondering so what is the problem with the model that you're trying to um, grow out of, what would you say for someone who is open to like, what, what What? do you mean there's a problem with the way we do leadership? What does that even mean? I'm, I'm the manager of a bank or I'm doing this and what's, what, can I not be a white male in position? Mm. What's What's happening there that you think is, is, is the first important thing to learn about um, what's problematic in that role mm. or in that old template?
1: Yeah. Well, I think in that, case, there's so often this sense of, you know, what I've spoken to before, of having to hold it all together, or feel like you are the only one um, in charge, or you have to know all of the answers. And I think that that feels outdated for a lot of people, including cis white men, um, who might feel really uh, empowered to say, hey, I don't actually know the answer to that. And to feel like that is okay, and not only okay, but desired. And to invite other perspectives into the room to acknowledge all of the people that are often kind of working behind the scenes, um, sharing ideas and brainstorming and making all of the pieces happen to really recognize um, the support that you're getting. Um, that enables you to to stand potentially at the front of the room, does that make sense?
0: I, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate and yeah I'm, please I am wondering I do that a lot with this. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of adds credibility i hope how do you how do you create fluidity, which I'm a big fan of uh, i think it's I think it has you know so many so much potential when we can be really fluid with power, and when we're talking about leadership roles. How, if I'm thinking from the standpoint of somebody whose mind so far has only made space for a static dynamic, right? Like power going one direction hierarchically uh, from themselves through other people and probably receiving power from other people. How do you continue to create structure and safety when you shift from that rigidity and uh, when you shift from that rigidity into a more fluid power structure?
1: Hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, <Good modeling>. I, <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine if you're really shifting culture in your organization, on your team, that that's, there's going to be some growing pains. Um, And there's going to be some discomfort. I think being transparent about your desire for the shift in direction, um, about you know how you're kind of growing into this new way, can be really helpful and powerful. And to, to invite collective. Participation um, to to invite collective buy-in uh, and do it together. Mm-hmm. But I and, don't I don't exist in those spaces very often. So mm-hmm. so truthfully, I'm not sure.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think you you and I are probably very similar in that I would I would really love existing in the power cultures that you create, and you you probably would feel good in mine as well. But not everybody operates like that, I'm learning. There are people who actually want that linear structure. And so could, could that just be a simple shift of saying, as long as we include in our culture, that you get to request what you need. And part of what you need is actually to have somebody be more directive or have somebody have a little bit more structure around you. Does that fit for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so much of what I teach and share in my leadership immersions is really about cultivating the self-awareness to know what works for you and to feel confident in your unique needs and style, even if it doesn't look like anyone else's. So I hear you speaking to that. It's really knowing what works for you, and being able to ask for that and create a structure or system that can support that.
0: There we go. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah. So I'd love to get into a little of your emergence as a leader. At what point in your life did this start to crystallize for you that you wanted to get into becoming a mentor for others and a facilitator in this way?
1: Um, my work really started uh, around education. That's how I stepped into this exploration of facilitation and leadership. And there actually is a very pivotal experience that I had when I was in 11th grade in high school and we're going way back. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a kind of accelerated education program in a highly resourced school. And I was in a literature class that was, you know, had gotten, everybody had loved it. There was a new teacher and she was asking the students to write and share really personal essays based on the books that we were reading. And she would invite us up to the front of the room. We would be asked to share these personal writings. And she would tear people down. Mm. She would just tear us down. And there ended up being this culture in the classroom where people dreaded coming to class. People just dreaded sharing anything personal anything vulnerable folks who had always done their assignments were no longer turning in their their assignments for fear that they would be sort of exposed and it was horrible I hated it I dreaded going to that class and at some point uh, a few of my classmates decided that we had had enough and we wrote a letter to the teacher basically saying, You know, we don't feel safe in this classroom. Here's some of the reasons why we don't know what to do. And about half the class signed that letter and we submitted it to the teacher.
0: Wow, you felt yep. safe enough to do that though.
1: I don't, looking back, I'm not sure how we felt I think it was out of desperation honestly Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. need this class to to graduate and she's the only person teaching it (laughs) what are we gonna do it just felt like we need to do something but it was really scary I had never done anything like that before um so about I think about 15 students or 20 signed that letter and we sent it in to her And the next day, she came into the classroom weeping. She had received the letter. She was horrified. And she invited everyone who had signed the letter to meet her at lunch and talk about it. And this is a teacher that I was terrified of. Mm -hmm. So lunch comes, and out of these 15, 20 people who signed the letter only one other person showed up, me Mm -hmm. and one other person. So there we were with this teacher (laughs) and (laughs) who knew what we had thought. And I remember just being like, oh my goodness, like this is just horrible. Um, and what she, what do you
0: mean by this? Like being... Like sitting there discomfort? in
1: front of her. Yeah, yeah, just incredible, like visceral discomfort.
0: What were you expecting in that moment?
1: I think honestly, even just like sitting that close to this teacher was terrifying. And we had just kind of potentially provoked her and i would never had that kind of exchange with a teacher before. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not feeling good about it. Right. And and I think I also felt really kind of abandoned by all of these other students.
0: Mm. (laughs) Right. That doesn't inspire, inspire, you know, confidence to be going into this vulnerable situation and have your Your troops basically run for the hills, huh?
1: Yes. Yes. I think I I just like walked into that room and like, oh my goodness, only me and this other student. (laughs)
0: Wow.
1: So there we were um, sitting with this teacher and she said at some point in the conversation, what can I do? how can I make this better? I had no idea that this was going on. What can I change? And I really shocked myself in that moment because I had so many ideas about what could change and ways to shift the dynamic in the classroom, ways to make it feel safe and inviting and inclusive. And I just, it like opened up this flow of ideas and inspiration that I spoke to her and she listened. And in my memory, this other student who was there with me hardly said a word. (laughs) He was silent. Um, But I shared these ideas with this teacher and she really listened. She really heard me. And the amazing thing is that after that afternoon with her, she incorporated a lot of my ideas. She implemented the changes that I had suggested and she really transformed that classroom.
0: So tell me about the impact because obviously this is hugely meaningful. You said this was pivotal.
1: Yeah, I realized that education was not this passive thing, that it wasn't just the teacher's job to say, this is what you need to know and how you need to know it. And as a student, I would sit there and say, okay, great, absorbing, doing, that it could be this really vital exchange. And that even though I was in 11th grade and a student, I had ideas that really could impact and transform this environment, this experience and something that had been really toxic into something that felt really energizing and enlivening. And that was transformative for me as a as a young person. And it really catapulted me into my career path and to where I am today.
0: So being a, a learner, being a quote, unquote, follower, could become an active process.
1: Yes. I think it and speaks p- to that non-binary yeah. sense of student and teacher, of leader and follower, that there she was, this you know seasoned teacher learning from me, a young student, instead of just the other way around, which we come to know as education.
0: Yeah. So as you look back on that now, some years later, as you imagine, I I imagine you have much more understanding of of what your teacher's world was like at that time in her development and being an adult and holding space for people right now that you're in a version of that seat, right? Mm. What was it that she provided that changed the game for you?
1: after the conversation well I mean I just
0: at the risk of it sounding obvious right I just want to make sure people get that like what was how do you celebrate what she did Mm. in in changing things because she could have responded in any any number of ways as you were bracing yourself for right
1: true yeah very true
0: right so I want to hear it from you I'm sure we can all make some guesses just in hearing your story but what what do you see in her? If you were to look at her right now as a client of yours, right? Like What would you be celebrating about the way she mm. showed up?
1: I love that question. Thank you. Yeah, I think I would be celebrating her vulnerability, her humanity, really letting herself feel the impact of how her teaching was being received. And to extend that deep receptivity and listening that I was not expecting. And I think that's really hard to do, especially in a place where you're feeling challenged or critiqued. I mean, she really received that feedback and integrated that feedback and allowed allowed the experience to be responsive To what was happening for students. And, you know, just reflecting on that, I feel like that encompasses so much of what I teach and aim to be now.
0: Right. It sounds like you got a double dose of what has informed, or maybe even just ignited what was already in you as a leader. Mm -hmm. You got to experience yourself walking into some really uncomfortable vulnerability with the courage to find your voice, really speaking up to power, right? Cause you didn't mm. have any power in the situation. You needed the class. She was the only pathway through and you you could have just kept your mouth shut and tried to survive it, right? Yeah. Um, and you, And a lot of people did. Yep. Clearly. Yep. So you got the the incredible benefit of that experience. And then on top of it, she actually, in that moment, and maybe because of the way you showed up, she was allowed then to transform into a higher version of who she was, possibly. Mm. Maybe she was. Yeah. Someone. And so you got, you got the modeling from her that you needed all along.
1: Yes. Yeah. Thanks, teacher.
0: <laughs> Isn't that kind of amazing? How, I mean, to me, it speaks to a lot of optimism about how relational dynamics can turn on a dime.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: What was potentially one of your most devastating and damaging, you know, teacher-student relationships of your high school career turned out to be one of the most informative and, and empowering, it sounds mm-hmm.
1: like. Yes, definitely.
0: So if you're listening out there, you might be one conversation away from changing everything in a really important relationship.
1: Mm. Yeah love that.
0: But you got to make it to the table. You got to show up for that mm. lunch, that invitation and, and to your credit and your classmates credit, you did.
1: Right. Even if you're the only one, even if you're one of two, show up.
0: Yeah. Cause I imagine that, And have you spoken to this teacher since then?
1: What's funny is that my brother is several years younger than me and he then had her <laughs> and she would check in with him like throughout the class check just you know was are things feeling good how are <laughs> things landing
0: <laughs> am i gonna get a letter next week
1: <laughs> and my brother was like sure whatever like he didn't really <laughs> yeah, care <laughs> but um yeah it's been years and years since i connected with her but
0: but i'm she guessing knows, she
1: knows that she had a significant impact i think we just had a mutually significant impact on one another
0: that's what I'm wondering, and that's what I'm yeah. guessing is that she, she. If I were having this conversation with her, she might look back and say that really opened me up to a whole new level of, um, I don't know if she'd call it leadership, right? But just the way of showing up as a high school teacher.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious. Right. Next episode.
0: Wow, if this were a um, Jerry Springer show, we could have her. <laughs> I could have her in waiting, or maybe, or maybe Oprah.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's go for Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, how does that inform the way that you step into uh, your role now with your clients and students as a leadership mentor?
1: I think in many of the ways we're just kind of unpacking, really you know i try to do all of the things that she did in a way <laughs> <laughs> except for the the trauma part um, post-letter. post letter post post letter yes but really really being open to the actual impact that my activities and lessons and the and what i'm teaching is landing because i think so often uh, we get lost between intention and impact. So, really listening, asking for feedback, listening to the feedback, um, integrating the feedback, and really approaching all of the spaces that I convene as this co created collective process where, yes, I am holding the space, I am creating an agenda, but that I am really paying attention to what's unfolding in the room and listening to all of the voices and honoring all of the experiences so that it can be this this thing that we're doing together that's not just me um, Saying this is how it is, and this is what I want to teach, but that it's done in relationship with the questions that people are asking, the expertise that they have, the experiences that they come into the room with.
0: Do you have, um, like, how are your students doing with this? What what kind of success has happened in this ripple effect that you mentioned after they're done working with you?
1: Well, most of the people that I have been working with over these last several years are leaders and teachers and facilitators and come to the work with me with a real desire to then bring it back out into the communities that they are serving. And they speak really to the transformation that the work has had on the way that they gather the intentions in how they're gathering the ways that they then can create space for their communities to really show up and go deep and be vulnerable and get creative. Um, So the folks that I have worked with are healers and coaches and... um, Lawyers and writers, and really, have taken these tools out into a wide range of communities and are doing this work with very diverse groups. So that's super inspiring for me to see. Really, just how far that ripple goes out and how deep that learning really has been.
0: Um, It must. This might be a really tough question to answer but it's it's a personal interest to me because it's something I'm always musing on and and working on. So how do you, have you seen any ways in which they're taking the, the work they've done on themselves as leaders and started to impact systems that maybe have been entrenched in some less productive uh, templates?
1: I see. I'm thinking of one person in particular who does a lot of work with organizers and activists who work in nonprofits and various organizations and education. So she's taking the work that we've done, convening circles of people who really are working in systems and structures, um, and bringing these tools really to vibrant life in the circles and then inviting them to take that back and create ripples of change where they're able. And I think some of that is really around um, how do we caretake ourselves in the work? Um, How do we bring this sense of kind of humanity and vulnerability and humility into these spaces um but that's you know that's ongoing kind of slow moving work to really shift the systems and structures that are embedded
0: is there a particular system that exists in the world that you would love to get your hands on
1: mm-hmm. I mean, I would say the educational system.
0: (laughs) Hmm. You mean in the United States? Uh Uh-huh. Specifically?
1: Yeah, sure. Let's start there. Okay. Um, And that's where a lot of my early work really was rooted is, you know, how do we create more spaces where it can feel more like that exchange I had with my teacher how can we make learning really come alive? How can learning be relevant? How can learning be, um, you know, out in the world and not just in classrooms and really about experiences, not just memorization of facts.
0: So where would you start if you were attempting to shift the mindset, the leadership culture and the education system?
1: Hmm. Um, well, I did start with teachers. And that was really around, you know, we have these folks who are deeply committed, and yet they're working within the system. So if they're already in there, how do we how can we keep them in there? <laughs> how can we keep these really motivated, um, brilliant, generous folks from burning out? Um, When I first started my work many years ago, I primarily worked with educators who were, you know, vacillating between that sense of real commitment and deep burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So that's not a systems change, but I think that you know, being able to create sustainability for the folks who are in there is necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, and
0: well, what's what's Missing about the current power structure in education that you would want to address first, if you could? Like, what would be the mechanism to address these things? Mm. Is it partially opening up, um, recentering, and empowering teachers and people who are in the schools? Is it something else?
1: Mm. Yes, I think it would be that. I think it would be really uplifting student voice and student leadership. Um, I think it would be ripping open kind of the the purpose of education and redefining what that is and why we have kids in school for that long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, yeah making it accessible, making making um, deep learning accessible for all students, not just privileged students.
0: Yeah. Really big picture, big picture changes. Yeah. Yeah. And core, <laughs> core and big. Yeah.
1: Picture. Let's rip open the entire education system and <laughs> rebuild. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah
0: if people are listening who are resonating with your paradigm around leadership and that it can sort of come back to being centered in our own truths, if that's a fair way to assess it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, how would you suggest they start or continue their process?
1: Um, I think always beginning with a practice of self-awareness and self-inquiry and beginning to pay attention to the spaces that we're in, the learning environments that we're in that make us really come alive, that make us feel safe. The The spaces where we feel embodied, um, invigorated, curious and excited and you know, I think it's easy to kind of move through our days with a bit of numbness or just get into default mode and not really pay attention to what's working or not working for ourselves. And so to begin by really paying attention to that and gathering that awareness um, and from from that awareness, then to be able to really explore more of those learning environments that make us come alive like what is it about those spaces what is it about us in those spaces and that provides information to really create more and more of those spaces and for the leaders and facilitators and space holders it's really helpful to say, you know, I'm not creating somebody else's model of what I think it should be, but I'm really creating what I know works for me. And here's why. Um, and then building from there, inviting other people into the mix and getting their feedback and um, kind of taking your own temperature, getting your own feet, you know, taking your own feedback as well. and continuing to grow from there.
0: Awesome. You mentioned having, I think, a program that's coming up. Do you want to share a little bit about that so people know?
1: Sure. So I have two primary ways that I work with people. One is through the Catalyst Leadership Immersion, which is a 10-month in-person cohort for emerging and evolving leaders and people who really want to expand their change-making work in the world and lead and facilitate their own offerings. So that program is really a way to weed through all of the kind of overwhelming ideas that we have about how we wanna show up and actualize the vision so that we can Amplify the impact that we're having. So that's facilitation practice and one on one mentorship, and people who move through that program create their own signature offering. So that's really exciting for me. It feels like my deep life work, (laughs) Um, 20 years of experience really like just poured into that um, container. And then I have a really exciting brand new offering, which is called holding space and it's a virtual course and it's really a way to translate some of the core frameworks that we explore in depth through the cohort into this online format. So people from all over can experience it and learn together and practice tools for creating and leading transformational groups. So that starts on October 21st and I'm really excited about it. It's just felt super inspiring to be creating and pulling together all of these different tools that I um, have practiced and shared over the years and um, designing an online course that also has some of that kind of juicy magic uh, of being in person. So I'm excited about that.
0: Awesome. I just thought of a question for you that uh, I I might, maybe I can edit it and move it back before this, but um, I remember in the AYP last year, I believe you were the only person who listed justice as a value.
1: <laughs> in, in Michelle's
0: exercise, you remember that?
1: Yeah.
0: I've been kicking around this idea of um, just like how the coaching and personal development world can be very privilege informed. Mm-hmm. And I like this idea of being centered around being, uh, you know, oppression informed. Mm. And, and that my work is largely around being able to consider the context of somebody's reality so that it's not just, you know, this sort of like, what are your limiting stories? And you can just do anything. right Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, we want to be, we want to be empowered and centered in that way, but we also have to understand the context from which people live. Right. So I'm just wondering if you can share it all about how justice plays into your view of personal development.
1: Mm. Well, justice is one of my core frameworks, and that informs how I create curricula, how I show up as a leader, what I teach, and how I teach. And I speak about justice through all of my offerings. And it's a big concept. For me, it really looks like um, examining our own biases and blind spots and cultivating self-awareness of the identity intersections of who we are when we show up in a room, especially as leaders and facilitators. And also really knowing who's in the room and inviting that diversity of perspective and identities and knowing not only who's in the room, but who's not in the room and why. And thinking about our choices with a lot of intentionality. And so it isn't that default. Um, for me as a cis white woman, I think a lot about how I'm holding myself accountable. Um, there's a great article by Mia Mingus, who's a disability justice advocate and writer about, um, kind of reframing accountability and how can we look at accountability as this beautiful invitation, as this, um, kind of honor. And so I am bringing that perspective into the spaces that I hold as well, um, But really having hard conversations with myself, with other white people, um, asking the hard questions, reading, acting, um, and as much as possible, moving theory into practice.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If people want to look up more about you and your work, where should they go?
1: Um, All of my details are on my website, www.anyahankin.com. And I also hang out on Instagram a lot, (laughs) Anya (laughs) Hankin. Um, And yeah, you can find all the information about the leadership immersion and about the upcoming e-course there.
0: Again, Anya Hankin, facilitator, leadership mentor, Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and for doing all the, the well-informed work that you're doing in the world.
1: Thanks, Jesse. It was really lovely to talk to you.
0: To check out more from Anya Hankin, go to AnyaHankin.com. Here's the question of the day. Who in your world are you hiding important feedback from? And what conditions do you need in order to feel safe and clear enough to communicate with them? This has been the Super Givers podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. You can help me out with one of three simple actions. You can write a five-star review on iTunes. You can tell a friend about the show, or you can listen to another episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn. You can learn more about me and my equine-based leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening.